Yo, yo, welcome to the Loki Podcast, and today we're talking about a new movie that just came out on Netflix called Residue. Some um, I knew nothing about. I don't think Aaron knew anything about, but um, Tim brought it to our attention. Um, it's, it's it's one of those movies that show uh, the side, I guess you could say, the the ugly side of gentrification. Um, so overall, like, what what were your you guys' first initial thoughts? Um, start with you, Aaron. What, what was the first thing st- stood out to you when you first started watching Residue? Uh, I thought it was a good movie. I, you know, it took a little while to get started, and uh, I was trying to get a sense of where it was going, what it was setting up. Um, and, you know, it took us a moment to get there, but, you know, I, I thought it, it was pretty impactful of what it wanted to do and um, definitely uh, kind of, you know, had me thinking again about some some stuff I had, you know, put in the back of my mind for a bit. But, you know, it's pretty, pretty good. Stuff like... Um you know, from, from oh, I was growing gonna up or sh- like story stuff or. Oh, I, I was going to keep it short for now, but, but to, to be you know quick so we can get Tim's thoughts to just, you know, stuff that, you know, uh, dealt with in life, having looked at, you know, just how things have gone on and mm. thinking back on the, on the people I've grown up with in the neighborhoods I've lived in and how my parents worked to, you know, um, give me the best opportunities they possibly could. Um, and, and, just kind of why that was important. And, you know, just things you, you think about later when you become an adult and then just seeing it actually reflected um, in a film is pretty rare. Um, mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it's funny just to contrast that with the sort of criticisms we had of Woke last episode. Um, I said what the things I said at that episode not knowing we talk about this film and in a lot of ways it kind of addresses some of the things that I'd said, you know, uh, near the end there. And woke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before we get to 10, I just want to say, ask you this, uh, cause I could be tripping, but is it just me or does the main character Jay in this film look like your cousin? (laughs) A little bit. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know. I know you're talking about. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I just had to let it. You had to put that out there. So what you, what did you think? What were your first initial thoughts of the film, Tim? Um, as a white gentrifier, I just want to condemn this movie <laughs> in the strongest possible terms. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> the first thing I should say is that Caleb Hammond, who I work with that movie maker, was just on the jury at the Mammoth Lakes Film Festival. And that jury chose this as the best narrative film for the director, Marawi Jirima. I hope I'm saying his name right. Marawi Jirima. His dad is Haley Jirima. Um, who's a well-known filmmaker and a professor mm. at Howard University. Um, mm. This is this is Marawi Jirima's debut film. And obviously it's getting a lot of attention. When I checked last night, it was at 100 on Rotten Tomatoes. Now it's at 95 on Rotten Tomatoes, Aaron just said. Um, mm-hmm. It made me think a lot. I I don't know. I tried to I tried to not be defensive as I watched it, as I thought about when I lived on the <laughs> north end of Pittsburgh and when I lived in Harlem, sponging off my brother um, for a while. Um, and tried to think about like what kind of white person I was when I lived in predominantly black neighborhoods and whether I was a good neighbor or a shitty neighbor. Mm. Um, it was good to see it from a different perspective. And cause I thought, I think I thought like, Oh, I'm one of the cool people where I'm like being respectful and not, you know, not trying to destroy the character of a neighborhood. But I wonder, I think a lot of the people in this movie feel that way too. Mm-hmm. 
I think a lot of the white people in this movie feel that way too. Right, right, don't right. care. Um, so it was definitely eye-opening and helpful to me, honestly. I think well, it it's kind of hard to, to care about something that you don't recognize too. Right. Yeah, it was interesting because I think like, I think some of the white characters thought like there's no culture here. And I think the black characters were like, these white people have no culture. And it was funny to me that the white people were so just vague and bland. I think even more so than that, that they were trying to paint over the culture that's already there. Because there's a lot of that happening when you see gentrification take place. Um, you and I, I can't remember, like, when, when did you move to New York? Um, I lived there twice. Um, um, God, I, I can't even remember. I lived there from 2001 to 2003, and then I lived there again from 2006 to about 2013, 14, 15. I kind of came and went back and yeah, forth. Yeah, just kind of, yeah. And the, I was there for shit, man. I asked you, and I'm trying to remember years. It was like 2000, God, when was that? 2012 to 2016, I think, for me. And yeah. that's, you and I met, um, in New York at that time. So, I mean, you were definitely there around that time frame. Um, I was in Bed-Stuy, and that was at the time, not long after the Barclays Center had opened up in Brooklyn, um, in the neighborhood formerly lived in by, you know, several famous um, moguls in, in, of hip-hop culture and in all kind of places now. Um, and it was interesting seeing how the neighborhood transformed. When I first was there, you know, there was still the thing about New York that's really crazy. Is this the most um, segregated city um, in a, in a many ways now, now you not come to Pittsburgh, my friend. Well, so, okay. <laughs> but, but do, do they have places called literally Chinatown <laughs> in little Italy? Like they, they put the names of the people and where they're supposed to be in the name yeah. of the town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's really weird, but um you know, is, is there any weirder than Blackhaven and Whitehaven? No, nah, well, I was going to get to some of that stuff with Memphis, but you know, the thing that's interesting, well, I mean, it's still straight Whitehaven, but whatever, that whole thing in Memphis. Um, but, <laughs> Just spell it right out. Do, yeah, I mean, they, they made wow. no balls about it. And so I remember being in Bedside, we saw the neighborhood transform. And another thing, too, the, the people who were buying the homes were these uh, families who lived for generations who were black in their neighborhood. A lot of them were Hasidic Jews and they would come in and I, this is a real thing that happened. So my wife and I are black. The uh, roommate that we had at the time was white and, you know, love Harrison, you know, best man in my wedding, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I'm not saying he's white as another, right? But the thing was, I remember if she and I went alone, certain people who owned these buildings did not want to show us shit. But then when Harrison would be there, it'd be different. You know, so like to rent to rent building. To, yeah, to rent like they would tell us units weren't available. But then when Jeez. he would come along, it, it, yeah, it just oh well, I guess it's open. They're like what the fuck? But you know, over time, um, we literally saw the neighborhood have like very few white people to like just like skateboarders just going down the damn down the road. He's like, what the hell's going on? And there's nothing wrong with that in any way. But the thing that was so weird was they were very uncomfortable with the people who had been living there still, who had not sold their homes and hadn't been moved to the east side of the tracks where the, now those drug lines had moved over. It's a lot of weird stuff, but I've witnessed this happen in Memphis. I witnessed it in New York City. I've seen it other places too. Um, 
And so, and I've been also uh, the people, you know, among the people who were being moved around like that and were living amongst the crime and were not socially mobile yet. So I think this would be a good time to get into what the film's about. We've been talking uh, around it a little bit, uh, but essentially uh, our protagonist, Jay, is uh, coming back uh, to DC uh, to write a screenplay or, or something about a movie or something. He's been living in California. Uh, he's going back to his old neighborhood. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people who he used to grow up with um, are in different circumstances. Some of the parents aren't there anymore. Um, and the neighbors being, well, excuse me, the neighborhood is being gentrified. And it's really about him trying to, in his words, write a story about the neighborhood and, you know, kind of give give them a voice that's how he puts it um and he struggles with that and and even understanding what that means and, and if he even still belongs in the neighborhood and also the fact that the neighborhood's changing and just feeling like maybe he doesn't have a place there anymore and there's a lot that comes with that um as, as you follow jay yeah so it's i don't know it's, it's really interesting keith what i mean you've been kind of just uh, getting our thoughts. Uh, what, what did you think of, of the film? And, you know, did you feel like, you know, following Jay, did you in any way feel connected to the struggle he was having during the film? I did. I did much later on in the film. It felt like it took, it took too long to ever get to that point because there was a, there was a big part of me that was waiting for the movie to kind of show me something like, yeah, what is like, what's the plot? Like what's going on? Like, you know, when did it do that for you? When did it eventually get to that point? What was, the, I think for me, I can tell you what that moment was. What was that moment for you? Um, when he's talking to Delante. Which time? The first time when first the cop pulled over. And, and the reason why is because now we, we kind of had this whole thing about the Dimitri thing where now it's setting up that like, okay, there's something up with that. And what's interesting about the film is that they kind of build this up to be a mystery in a sense, but that's not the most important part of, of the movie, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It's just another part of, of, a, of a person pretty much coming home and not recognizing their home anymore, in a sense. Or that, or like, or like feeling like, or made to be felt like by the people that's still there, like he abandoned his home and he does not care because he left and went to California and stuff. Well, and I think, but see, part of that too is there's so many instances where you can tell he has always cared, but that's never shown through in the, in the time of his absence, really. Or at least it doesn't appear to. I think one way we get to see that is, is it, Oh my god. Uh the, the person who's in jail that he goes to visit, I can't remember if that's Dion. That's or, Dion. It's Dion. Okay. So there's Dion, Delante, and Demetrius, which is a little And then Mike confusing. also. And Mike. Oh yeah, Thank but, god oh, but for the, somebody the, with an M name. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the three D's. Um so I think the the thing that ends up happening is he one way or another just didn't stay in touch with people. Mm -hmm. And we see this, for example, through his family saying, hey, you know, you got these letters. Did you ever write back? And he's like, no. Uh, 
you know, in front of his family, he's like, why would I do that? And then when he's in front of Dion, he's like, man, I'm sorry about the letters. Like, it's not that he doesn't care, but like, there was something that goes unsaid as to why he didn't reach out. You know? I mean, I, I kind of get get why he didn't reach out. Oh, no, to, I get um, it. It's, it's just to, unsaid. Well, I'm saying to Dion. Now, okay. everybody else, I'm like, eh. well, why, why you say to Dion, though? Because he considered Dion the big brother. I mean, that's the that's the reason why, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, seeing your, the person who you idolize and seeing your big brother in that particular type of situation, could, it's very heartbreaking. And it was like, it could be that he was just not ready to face that. You know, yep. and it took him mm-hmm. it took him a while to get to that point. I think part of what took him to even go do it was like the guilt that he felt um, that I feel like Delonte was kind of putting on him to be to telling him, like, you left. We still here. We still well, in the trenches. Mike had just passed away, too. And yeah. And Mike just passed away. Um, and and it, it was kind of like one of those things, too, like with everybody else. It was just kind of like you could have kept in touch with some of them folks, man. Like, even like when Mike, you know, when Mike shows up and he's talking to his father mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, that him and Mike were friends, but it's, you could see that there's a disconnect where he's talking more to his father than he's actually talking to Jay. I think that's now, a really great point. Yeah. I know yeah, too. At this point, Jay is a stranger. Yeah. You they know, don't, and, like for example, that they won't give him information on Demetrius. For sh- they won't give him for shit. And it's like, and, and like, you know, Delonte and a couple other people saying like, damn, what well, he the feds? He asking all these questions. Because even the guys he, at the star of the movie do that. Right. And, and then another thing, too, was that like, that's pretty much when he was talking to him is when he wanted something. And, you know, yes. he, he let it be known like, oh, I'm working on this film and da 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 da. And the thing about people like... I, I can't speak for everybody in the hood, but they don't forget nothing, you know. They sure as hell don't. So if you if you treat if you treat if you treat them right, they gonna always remember that shit. But if you turn your back, nah. But you see, know what it, I'm it's not just simply about turning your back. The the problem with, with what he did, he completely disconnected himself. Well, he, he treated it. I remember this is a real fucking thing. I remember having happened in a, in a classroom uh, in in college. There was a, I still got this book somewhere. I really hate I didn't pull it out because it's on a bookshelf, but and I can't remember exactly what they were talking about, what city, but it was an American city. And the title of it was something, it was a white author who wrote this essay and it was about voyeurism. Mm-hmm. And it was this whole thing about like treating American cities like, uh, almost like, like you're not, it, it's like a part of America. or something, yeah. Well, more like this is part of America, but like we're just here to like kind of look at the crazy, dangerous parts of America and then like come out like it's a fucking amusement park. You know, like Mm. it's not a part of you or your life or even your country. Like this doesn't even concern you anymore. You're just there to like, you know, capture the scene and then write about it kind of shit. And the way Mike talks to everybody, I mean, excuse me, Mike J talks to everybody it's always centered around, you know, because, and, and I don't think it's even super, I, I, I do think he means it when he says, I want to give a voice to the voices, but he's like, you ain't, like, you ain't saving me. That's what, what Delonte says, you, you can't save me. You know, like, we got a voice. 
just because white folks don't hear it don't mean we don't have a voice. Like, yeah, and then at the end of at the end of the day, who is that gonna really benefit? Exactly. Yeah, because he was like, "What's that gonna do?" Yeah, okay, it's gonna. It's movie. just. Yeah, it's gonna make him. If it does well, he's gonna be a acclaimed filmmaker. But it you don't know? do nothing for them or for their neighborhood. No, it doesn't. It's so interesting that the filmmaker puts that in there in the movie that he writes to have that question about whether he's exploiting the neighborhood or helping the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like. I don't know. That was pretty gutsy. It's kind of like, it made me think about um, like Scorsese, for example, right? Yeah. Like he, in the beginning of his career, that's all he did. Like he, he, he wrote and directed what he knew. Right. You know, stuff, stuff regarding Italian, Italian Americans and stuff. And then when it came to like street stuff, like you go watch like mean streets. Like he said, these are people that he knew, Right. you know? And, I don't, I don't know. See, see, that's the thing. Like there's a thin line between like you telling the story and telling the story that you know, and you possibly exploiting the people of that neighborhood that you grew up in. But, but mm-hmm. I think the difference though, from my understanding, if we were going to compare like what Scorsese did into like what Jay was trying to do is that Scorsese was still in New York. He was still in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? And I think people could respect that a lot more than somebody that completely leaves and then come back like this is now like some National Geographic type shit. All right. However, now let's let's do a further comparison there, though, because, you know, look, if we just being 100 on this, the government and surrounding systematic forces aren't going out of their way to do things and make it harder for you know, Italians to go about their way in life. No. Not specifically, right? Like, I mean, one of the things about, you can't cover every single basis for everything in, in you know, films like this, because uh, there's just not enough time, right? But mm-hmm. the things that allow gentrification to take place are like all these policy things, right? And even like in Memphis, for example, I remember my freshman year going to college, like I was too broke to come back home. So like literally that entire semester that fall never went home. And I'll never forget neighborhood was fine, came back. And one of the first things I saw before I turned onto um, uh, like off of uh, Winchester, like one of these main streets to go towards my mama place, there was a fucking shopping cart in the middle of the street, like where you're supposed to turn. And I was like, Okay. And, you know, then I, you know, go, hey, mom, blah, blah, blah. All right, I'm gonna run the store real quick, you know, whoever. We start going down Winchester. You remember that, that um, Target that's like in Nine Arnold in Winchester? That This is huge, huge um, Target. This is a huge building. That shit had become a pawn shop. They took the Target oh, yeah. and just moved it way down Winchester by about eh, like five, six miles further to closer to where the white people were, closer to the Shelby County, Mississippi line. Um, they had they had some big ass guns at that pawn shop too. Yeah, but like at the hex cross road and <laughs> yeah, well, but that's the thing. Like, but remember, then they had like they started putting. Then in, they closed down Barnes and Noble. That yeah, was they in clo- Winch- they closed that was down Manchester. They closed. Was, well, Circuit City was failing over there too. It was all kind of shit. But the thing is, like, it wasn't just simply the stuff was shutting down. They took and invested 
just further down, way down the road to where all the white people were. Well, yeah, that and was white took, flight, though. Yes, because, I'm you saying, know, when we so, stayed in that area, there was a lot of white people no, staying no, but, there. But this, this is what I'm saying, though. So what happened was the FedEx Forum came to Memphis. So this is when the NBA came around oh, that yeah. time. And then they tore down the projects in downtown, and they started putting up all these damn townhouses. And they, so they tore down the projects, kicked everybody out. That's real cheap real estate, right? And you start mm-hmm. building up all these townhomes and shit around that area. And then you move, you got to move those people somewhere. And they happened to move them exactly to where my mama was over there. Right. And, but then as you do that, since you start doing that, all the businesses go, oh shit, we ain't trying to be here where they do that. So they move all their shit away. And then yeah. it starts Im- impacting everything else around that jobs, schools, everything. And that happened yeah. like in like a four month period real quick. And that was all that was all in East Memphis. And you know what's funny about growing up in East Memphis? Like my cousins that stayed in North Memphis and Fraser and South Memphis, they always used to make fun of me for staying in East Memphis. Mm-hmm. They like, oh, you stay out there with them white people. They say we stay in Twinkle Town and stuff. Yep. <laughs> and then like like you said, that by the time we get to college, after a while, gradually East Memphis started to become hood. And I was still there. I never left. So, you mm-hmm. know, I was going to school at the University of Memphis. So I saw it consistently start to change but then i also saw i didn't see this though mm-hmm. when i when i left and went to dallas and i started coming back gradually i don't sometimes in a way i don't recognize memphis dude it's it's it, like, the thing that's so crazy about memphis now is you can see i mean there was always like this huge racial wealth gap and, and that's been true. It's had some, Memphis has some of the highest racial wealth gaps in the country, similar to D.C., funny enough. That, but so if you're talking about, about, you know, if you're doing like uh, proportions, they're about the same. The thing that's mm-hmm. wild, though, is even areas, to Keith's point, you might not have had like high income people there, but people were like, you know, proliferating businesses. And, and But there are stretches of Memphis now where businesses are just not there. This is before mm-hmm. COVID. Like yeah. it, it just it stripped the fuck away. It's crazy. So like basically, you know, so many people in Memphis had the attitude of like, I want to leave. I hate this place. People, you know, trifling, they backstab you, so on and so forth, this and that. But there's not like a lot of opportunities for social mobility, you know, for a ton of reasons. But a lot of it is driven by race politics. And mm-hmm. we've seen it in that city consistently for so long i mean the truth of the matter is and this is real memphis was bigger than atlanta in the 70s you wouldn't fucking know that now but Mm -hmm. that was a thing and just for you know there's an article i sent to you guys it's gigantic i I wouldn't maybe we could put in the show notes if you guys are interested in reading that it breaks down a lot of the racial history of how um you know race politics have ensured that black wealth would not be sustained there at all period yeah. it talks about the the building of white haven and you know all that stuff and how they burned down um this large black mansion it was kind of like the center of the epicenter of, of black wealth and, and social mobility and then across from from that mansion prior to that they like literally just bulldozed about 90 acres worth of land where it was like all these middle-class black people there and just put projects in front of that mansion. Like right. these things are like not happening just out of nowhere. And there's so many moments in this movie where you see shit like that was construction, like these large projects being built. And we saw that in New York too, huge projects being built 
and all these people are profiting from it except for the people who live there who well excuse me who used to live there because they're kicking them all out you know yeah you know, and the jobs to those people and nothing it's crazy it's a weird thing because because it makes you feel like where do you belong when you get kicked out your own neighborhood like they got areas like that definitely out here in like dallas i didn't of course you know i don't really know much about dallas but like the hood area out here one of them oak cliff has mm -hmm. um it has a section in it like the old oak cliff they turn to the bishop arts district that area mm -hmm. is white as it's it's now it's nice they they fixed it up but just right down the street you in the hood though you know yeah but but then those people it's almost like you treat it like you undesired in the neighborhood that you grew up in like and then i thought about this too i think the only time it just really hit me hard back back in memphis was something i don't know how you felt about this but the pyramid that really bothered me. Tim, Tim, uh, sorry, we, we talk about all this stuff is that's the not pyramid, related is that to the, the movie. Is that the bass fishing thing? Yeah, okay, so the yeah, pyramid to prior to that, the, the yeah. pyramid prior to that was like our, uh, you know, our Madison Square Garden. Right. Yeah, I've been to Memphis, I think maybe, I guess only once. I was there for a few days, but I don't know. I have a lot of, it, it made a big impression on me the short time I was there because yeah, I remember we, a lot of this stuff. I used to be real big into like wrestling and stuff. And so they had like power pro wrestling down there. And then like at the W, you know, back then they were like the WWF when they came down there, we got to see them and stuff. And it was just like, it's so many memories that's tied There's into so that place. so many historic things that happened. Then, uh, uh, Louis Farrakhan came and spoke there. The Memphis Tigers, of course, right. were, you know, there. They, all the big events happened at the Pyramid. When the FedEx Forum came and the city got put on the hook for a $250 million 20-year lease, um, they basically said, well, this shit ain't worth nothing to us no more. And eventually they just turned it into a damn fishing shop. I mean, of all places, you turn oh, it Oh, and also they, they tore down several malls in Memphis. Several. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Gee, it's so much shit that's like when you break it down, it's so crazy. And so, um, and, and, you know, I think I've told you guys this story. When I was going to University of Tennessee, Knoxville, um, I was for the first time exposed to the term Memphrica. Jesus. That white people use to refer to Memphis. Um, it's a lot. Oh, because there's so many black people there. They trying. What was there a play yeah, on yeah, Memphis yeah. and Africa? Yeah, the the you know Buck. all the black people and and their lack of education and all the violence and all this shit. Um, as if like that stuff happens in a vacuum, right? Um, you know, because the thing is it's not seen as a shared community. I mean, that's one thing that's interesting when you talk about these things. For example, when things happen in black neighborhoods, white people go to athletes, I'm just saying, for example, and they'll say, why don't you do something about your community? It's like, it's right. your community too, asshole. Like, it's yeah. a shared community. Like, yeah, get out, stop fucking with Penny Hardaway, man. He <laughs> <laughs> Man, shit, man. Anthony, he, it's it's all our community, like you said. But uh, it's, anyway, so, it's a so very segregated. Yeah, it is a very segregated city and stuff. So I guess that's why we personally, or I personally related a lot to the film. There's um, a lot of frustration in there. There's a lot of, uh, I mean, I, I do definitely, it's funny, you, you watch the movie and uh, you know, Keith and I aren't in Memphis right now. Um, we, I don't think we say that with much regret, but we don't like how things have turned out in the city, you know. Um, you know, my parents both grew up in Memphis. Um, they, 
both went to college, got degrees, all that stuff. Um, and as they saw how things turned out, you know, it's just weird. So, so it, even going back, you know, before that generation, our grandparents' generation, there'd be things, Tim, I swear it, like in this movie, like, for example, there's the moment where Mike's grandmother's talking to Jay. Yeah. And she... The whisper. Dude, it's so... It's so eerie how... um how many moments kind of feel so true to life. Um, it, it's just how they do certain things, the, the way people move and talk and the whispers. Like, I, I, it was so, like I, I use the word eerie, when Jay's sitting there helping the, Mike's grandmother, Mike comes in and she goes to talk to him, shuffles the way, I'm so used to my grandmother having shuffled back in the day. And you hear them arguing and you know what it's about. And she comes back just downtrodden and she's trying to keep it together. But like, she's just at first not even bringing she, cause she doesn't even say about what Mike is doing. They both know. Yeah. And she's just like, just keeping, just keep me company, just whatever. And then she, she just kind of shares a secret. Women is the matriarchs. Often they hold all the information. They have all the skeletons and they don't, they don't share very often, but when they do, it's like some bombshell shit. You just are like, what? <laughs> and the men never do that. The men, in the way, for example, Jay's father talks, the same kind of shit. They're not going to get into like the details of their feelings. It's just like, where are we going to go? You want to get away from this stuff, blah, blah, blah. There's nowhere on earth to go. The world is a ghetto. I've heard this shit so many times. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily untrue. <laughs> but man now that yeah like you said that whisper and in, in, in the secret she shared and told and that trauma that people have and and can't can't really do anything with you know um i don't know man it's like on one hand you feel like you know jay should do better jay should keep in touch with people blah blah blah, blah. but it's like what you know at the same time it's like I think Jay is grasping for straws too as to what to do. I don't think he's doing it to be voyeuristic or to in any way poke fun at the people he used to live with, but it's like he does want to do something and there's just nothing he can do for it for the people who um didn't have the same opportunities because their parents weren't in, weren't in, you know as fortunate in whatever way how it, it came together, you know, like fate didn't give them the same chance. It's it's a weird kind of kind of tortured movie in my reading of it and please set me right on this if i'm totally misunderstanding it but the fact that his parents owned that duplex on q street and then they move out but they keep the duplex and so they're renting it out to the white dude upstairs and jay lives downstairs Mm -hmm. and then they move into this nice new house Mm -hmm. that all these prospectors like want to buy out from under them because it's another neighborhood that's being gentrified because it's another neighborhood that's being gentrified Mm -hmm. they're actually like being financially incentivized to take part in the gentrification Mm -hmm. because they're getting money from the white dude upstairs and then they're getting money from all these developers or whoever they are if they move well but keep in mind they don't so they don't really get into like why they rent it to the person who rented there but although keep in mind like 
So, all right, first off, they clearly don't want to sell the house they have. It was weird because, like, right. when they put up the third notice thing, and my, my wife and I were watching it, she said, you said, oh, it's a pink slip. And I'm like, I don't think it that's like, like an, an eviction, eviction notice. notice, right? Yeah, I was like, yes. it's not an eviction notice. They're trying to get them to, uh, you know, sell the it's home. It's real bad salesmanship to be like, you're evicted <laughs> from your house. <laughs> People, but no, but the thing, when you don't, okay, but Tim, see, here's the fucked up part, right? When you don't have people, man, it's like I've, I'm getting all choked up thinking about it. It's so fucked up, but it's true because it's happened so much to people. When you don't have people in your life who know money, you think you're fucked. Like you can give somebody like some false information and they'll just roll with it because they don't know any better. God. So, because you think about it, this happens with athletes all the time. It's the easy example, but like somebody's like, oh, yeah, this, this interest rate is blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, and you know, that seems fine. I'll be making this money for the rest of my life. Just people don't think about it, you know? Like you're making millions now, but an injury away from like not having that money, and you're never going to make that amount of money again. In general, with real estate, any level of investment, my parents' generation in many cases, they're the if there are people with money, they're the ones with money, but they don't have like tons of money. It's not like they're going to be some period, you know, funding my, you know, in uh, my next VC. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's like thing. it's like new money. Yeah, yeah, it's very new money. You know, it it's isn't, first, it isn't first like few estates. Yeah. Well, I said estates, first few um, properties. You know, things like it, it's not like tons and tons and tons of like you're not oil money. You know, it's not nothing like that. But people who have a house and can and have another property they're the ones on the block seeing like they the ones with oil yeah the thing no, is like, that's so, that's so, very successful because think about it. delante says you know so jay and delante are talking you know after mike's passed away and he's going to visit um uh my uh Dion, excuse me and He's like, don't you remember when we rode the bikes? He's like, no, I don't remember that. Because the J, like, he's always been in a comfortable position to some degree since then. Delante would never forget that because they were the ones who made it out. They had the decent house, you know. And for them, that they were happy for them. What for them was frustrating is that, you know, Jay didn't keep in touch with them in any way, you know. And and that that felt unfortunately like a slap in the face is Delonte said with his movie that he's going to put out about the right day, you know that part's amazing yeah i mean First, like you talk about slapping him in the face shit right and it it actually had a good plot um <laughs> you know another thing that kind of struck me odd was that the fact that jay did not know about Delonte's mother about his mother getting shot and stuff you know so how close and how much could you have really been keeping up with somebody to to not know this, you know? So I don't know. It just kind of add more to my point that he just to the point that he just disconnected himself so much from his past, and it just feels so phony once he actually comes back to everybody around him. Right. It's I funny. Know. I it keeps coming back to the end for me of how should I feel about the end where I look, I guess we just ruined the ending because we've been talking about the whole movie but <laughs> where he goes and like lashes out at the two white dudes. What is he actually lashing out at? Cause I feel like for a lot of the movie, he's sort of mad at himself. Yeah. And I think him going off on his girlfriend was a big part of him going off on himself. 
But you remember he goes off on her and say, and say like, you know, you sitting here with these people, you don't know these people, you're doing this, you're doing that. And, um, you know, you, you don't, pretty much telling her you don't stand for anything, right? Yeah. And so when I was, I was thinking about that when I was seeing it, I was thinking that that's another part of him lashing out at himself through her because I, I, I'm not completely sure because they, I don't remember seeing her in the truck when he comes back home. But did she come with him from LA? I don't think so. It's something. I thought about, he made that solo. Yeah, but she seemed. She don't seem like she's from there for some reason. It just didn't. It it was something that gave me them vibes that she wasn't from from there. And you never see her interact with like his parents or really any of his friends. Yeah. Which was kind of odd. Yeah, it's interesting. It's also, it's funny the scene where the white dude invites her to the party and then he shows up. As soon as Jay gets there, he just like walks away. And then yeah, he don't even away. speak to him or nothing. <laughs> oh, so what, what did you think was odd about that though? I, I mean, we were trying to talk, it's, it's almost like she doesn't, like, cause I was telling, I was just talking, we were just saying how like, um, she doesn't even interact with any anybody else outside of Jay. And and I was like, I don't know. Do you remember? Did she did she come there with him, or was it a solo trip? All right. So this is a thing that's not clear to me either. Because she's, I feel like she's from around the block, like not, but uh, not from the neighborhood. So so and the reason I get that, well, no, maybe from the neighborhood. Um, she, I don't think she came with him. And the reason I get that impression is, you know, the first time we see them together, you know, she's like, you know. You got some other hoes, and he's like, ah, you know, I got a couple, you know. He's like, ah, you know, I'm just playing, da, 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 da. But, like, they, that's not something that had been established until they had that conversation. So she didn't come with him. She, in one way or another, was somebody he hooked up with when he got there. He might have known her prior or not, but that's not so, totally with me. What's so weird about this movie is there's, like, 15-minute stretches where it feels like nothing happens, and then there's parts where really crucial information is skipped. And I feel like that's, I guess that's intentional, but it did bother me. It bothered yeah. me a lot. Yeah, it, like, it's, it's very stream of consciousness. Yeah, especially like when we're in the middle of a conversation, there could be more that could have been said in this conversation and it's cut short. Like well, that kind of bothered me a lot. So actually, I, I did want to come back to a thread that we uh, kind of jumped away from for a moment. Uh, with this whole thing of like when did the film feel like it was it was starting to do something more cohesive and like where there was a plot you could find like what like what's the point of all of this um because it's very disjointed in a lot of ways at the beginning um i think a second watch would like kind of put some things in into focus but it wasn't really until we get the moment where he sees the guy who's about to rob him and he looks at him and the guy looks at him and he's like, oh, okay. And it kind of keeps going. And then he doesn't realize he's become the mark. And he starts, this is like one of those most, what the film's kind of teaching us how to understand and see it. Cause yeah. they give you these really brief flashes of like the present moment, but then like what he's imagining as he's walking through the neighborhood and just kind of remembering the past celebrations. Maybe it's like the fourth of like, and this and out fireworks and this and that. And like, you know, you'll do that for like 15 seconds and then you see the dude coming, getting off the bike and then it's like another 10 seconds of stuff and then the dude's about to swing on him and then another five seconds and then like, boom, he's knocked out and then you get all these like 
image is him totally because it's weird it's like that's the moment when that that hit happens what really i think had them fucked up about jay was that he's lost his street smarts completely because they were like well how'd that happen to you He's like, oh man, you know, this is no big deal. And then, because Delonte went from like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that I means, you know, it was good to see, but kind of like dismissive to being like, no, nah, man, fuck you though. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm making sure you okay, but no, nah, man, like, you're not who you used to be. Like, you ain't, you ain't, you, you don't belong around here. Like, because that never would have happened. Like, that never would have happened to one of us. Why is it happening to you? Mm-hmm. You know, he was very standoffish from that point on. But Mike, I knew Mike was going to die. He was doing too much. Yeah, man, we're going to get up. We're going to talk. I know Delonte tripping, but I got you. That I was like, oh, he did. They ain't going to have that conversation. No, they definitely won't. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, was, that was like uh, some, like a, a soap opera. That was like, oh, no, man, you said too much. Man, I don't know why I thought it was. I kind of laughed a little bit, but then I kind of found, found it to be like kind of tragic. Like when he got we were just talking like when he went off when he went off on his girl um oh, right, right, right before right, yeah. that yeah right I before that, that. that. uh huh right before that when he left the party it's like it seemed like he got like extremely hot when the uh, white dude tried to offer him a blunt and they like somebody came and drop didn't they come drop off the weed in a baggie and uh-huh, it was already yeah. pre-rolled up and stuff <laughs> uh-huh. it was like i'm like damn it's like uber eats for weed man and, that, that's um, a thing on the east coast like that yeah i'm sure you could get that yeah. in california yeah but i i was just feeling like okay so is is weed legal out there or something no DC? okay i didn't know okay i'm the point i was thinking about like part of what would have made me so hot about it and what i was thinking that they were trying to show was that these people can just like so easily like get weed and party and all but, of this. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Then, just to be clear, I, I do want to just make it clear: it's not legal, but you can easily get it. I just wanted to make that. Yeah, but it's the well, no, no, it's no. the double standard of like black people go to prison for this and white people. Exactly. Just get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That, yeah, that's yeah. the point I'm trying to make, and I think that's why he was. Just, but see, like, the liver so, boys in New York aren't aren't they're all white guys. Like, well, I'd say all. A lot of them are. Like that was the thing that was so trippy. You'd hear about like, you know, oh well the mayor's no longer doing um broken window policing and we're improving this and that. And um but I would still see people get hemmed up out of nowhere who weren't doing shit. And meanwhile, you know, I'd be kicking it with somebody and then he go, ding dong, okay. And then the guy, I'm like, Oh, who's is this guy coming to hang out? Oh no, when you no, say when you say people getting hemmed up, you're talking about black people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the point I'm making is that they got yeah. white people doing the same thing that black people doing but not getting harassed for doing the exact same thing. But the thing is, the, the, the delivery guy would be white with some tats and just be on a bicycle and all the stuff's in his back. No one touch him. And then, oh, yeah. No, all these, all these legal weed stores in California, and I sound a thousand years old every time I say weed, but California and Massachusetts, they're licensing it now, but it's like, I might be incorrect about this, but it's predominantly white people. Oh, but, but when I'm talking about, when I say that too, I'm talking about New York, illegal, knowing they're not going to get stopped. It's, even even I, that it's, is pretty hilarious. <laughs> like every drug policy, you can go through and have a lot of fun with this. Like how every drug policy is response to, we hate this particular racial group. I mean, marijuana goes back to Mexicans and mm. then cocaine is like anti-black and it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's or even like how you, you get way more prison time for crack than cocaine. Crack versus cocaine. They just Dumb decide like this demographic likes this particular drug. And so we're going to use this drug to, and, 
who knows if that's actually even true. I mean, the whole marijuana Mexico thing, they just sort of made up. Mm -hmm. And then let's just use this to pummel whatever demographic we're mad at at this time. Yeah, it, it's it's a trip. I will say, though, uh, there's some really great shots in this film. My favorite one was actually the scene uh, we've been talking about where... That's a good shot. When Damn, he walks away shot. from her. Oh, that shit was fucking fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. they pull it out some more. You see all that construction. I was like, that is... And she's just standing that's there. That's great. I, um, I mean, I think, I think overall the shots are pretty cool. You could tell that they use um, one camera for a lot of the scenes. Mm -hmm. Or just like one one shot. I just I just personally at first it kind of bothered me, especially in the beginning, where um you're just focusing more on Jay. And I'm 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 assuming the creative choice of that was to make it feel more like a documentary or like we're yes. all voyeurs looking into so. this whole situation and stuff, like and everything that's going on. And um and we see more of that or more of a feel of that towards the end. Um, once he assault those white guys and you see um, that, that white, the white man and the white woman sitting on the balcony and there, you don't really see their faces, but you see them like watching it and then having a conversation about the neighborhood and how dangerous it is. Oh, does that happen? Oh no, not, no, they've cleaned it up. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. And that, <laughs> that scene yeah. is so eerie. I mean, but yeah. There was a lot of stuff that, that could have been for budgetary reasons and could have been for artistic reasons, but it worked either way. Like, I liked that you never saw the cop because they didn't have to blow budget on like a police uniform and a police car and like guns and all that stuff, but it had the exact same effect. And the part where he goes and sees Dion in jail and you never actually see the outside of the prison or anything like that, you just see like, they do so much with just like a dirty piece of glass between them. Like yeah. it just tells you the whole story, and it's I just all thought about that was, what you show. I just thought that was like beautifully efficient filmmaking, and I I wish more filmmakers would do that than, you know, put the bad police uniform on them. Like, just get it across. That dialogue with from the police officer was like, that was that was a man. Memphis ass cop man. <laughs> that, was, that made me that made me think about back home. I was on uh, I was telling my girl this story about how like I was um heading to work one time. And uh, I don't know if I told you guys this story where I had uh, one of my partners, he used to ride to work with me or whatever. It was like four o'clock in the morning. And I don't know why he showed me this video, this this woman twerking or whatever. Mm. And I'm like, damn. And you know, I ran and I'm looking at the video while I'm driving and I ran through a red light. Mm. And the moment I ran past, you heard, whoop, whoop. And um, the cops come, I'm like, gosh, I was like, damn. So my homeboy- Good job. No, nah, but my homeboy, he cracking up laughing, though. Like, he laughing. But but he he wasn't laughing at first because we was a little nervous because, you know, yeah, you know, Tennessee at night pulled over. And so the cop get out the car. It's a black guy or whatever. Mm. And he just, he just, I rolled down the window, and he was like, really, bro? Like, really? And then the, then my homeboy just started laughing. He said, I'm I'm like, man, you, your ass was zooming through this motherfucker, man. Slow this up, and you know it was cool. You know it was a it was a cool interaction for the most part. But you know you got cops like that. But that cop was like one of them, the bully ass cops. Like. Man, the bully cops so funny. Like, hey, hey, it's not even that serious, man. Like, yeah. just, he he, one of them dudes that went to your high school, and he was with with the yeah, shit in like high school, and he somehow he became a cop. 
God, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but he was the guy that like you know picked on folks and probably and stole your yeah stole your weed and now he a cop. You know that's yeah. fucked up. <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna see you around. He's like, ah, oh, fuck no, I hope not. <laughs> I don't. It, it's there's so many things about this movie that feel so so authentic. And it's it's pretty interesting. Um, I really um. Really curious to see what you guys thought about that depiction of uh shoot, what do you even call it? like the brunch with the white women having the wine and then they spill it and it looks like you know blood uh going through the concrete. I mean, it's so hyperbolic, but whatever. Yeah, take your shot. You know, take your shot, like make your art movie, make your big artistic statement. Why not? Like when you make a movie, it's like, who knows if you're ever going to get to make another movie. This guy definitely is. But, right. you know, swing for the fences. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a good first first shot at a film, I tell you that. Yeah. His debut, debut I, I thought that film. imagery was so hilarious because it's like, I just love and really appreciate the um, the ways in which it it really because it, it's not it's not interested in doing anything other than showing it to you it's not about to give you like an essay about like how these things work and blah, blah, blah. but just how the people who are gentrifiers like just kind of like it, it glosses over them that their presence has this sort of impact now at the same time it's not their fault see that's the thing that is kind of interesting like even like the white guys he sees at the end who he beats up they should not have crossed the street. It's not a big deal. He wasn't even looking at them, whatever. Um, so he shouldn't, I mean, no way he should have been going out and beating them up because he's frustrated about shit, right? But they don't have anything to do as individuals with what ended up happening, right? You know, to the neighborhood itself. Um, you know, I mean, maybe they do, right? But I'm saying like these parts are just like more people coming in. Yeah, and even like, you know, myself and my wife, you know, who, who were black living in Bedside, I mean, we too were gentrifiers. We were looking for a place to stay uh, that we thought would be um, affordable, uh, but not cost us an arm and a leg. We didn't have a ton of money, so we couldn't afford to go to Williamsburg, for example. And it's funny, like we'd go out and we'd be um, sending the glitz and glamour of, you know, people and, you know, working uh, on Broadway and all these other things because she did stuff in theater. And they'd be like, so where do you stay? I'm like, oh, we're in Bedside. I'm like, oh, Bedside. Hmm. I'm like, hey, man, like, you got a shit on where I stay. But I mean, like, they're like, oh, so isn't it dangerous? Like, then, it, you know, there's always that, that element, too. Like, you're not scared when you leave the C train at this hour? Like, no, Jesus I'm fine. Christ. Like, no, everybody's chill, man. Like, what's the problem? <laughs> but it's, it's like, um, you know, but neighborhoods would change. Like, I'm sure... You know, for example, it was funny how they kept talking about the, the abbreviations of the different neighborhood neighborhoods. So one of them that happened while I was there was Soha, so South Harlem, because you don't want to go too far up in Manhattan because, you know, so Harlem, I think, was it starts like 120, nah, like 116th, 123rd, something like that. I don't remember exactly where Harlem begins. I mean, you're exactly. like a proper Harlem by 116th. Oh, my God. I'm the... There's this podcast I like called How Neil Phil, where they talk about um, just arrived instant expert. 
Mm-hmm. And after living in Harlem for like three months, I'm like, let me, let me tell everybody about Harlem. No, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like right above Central Park, like 116th. Yeah. 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 So, so if you get there, the thing is, it's like between like 116th and like 140 something, like 145 or something like that. That's Harlem. Um, past that is Bronx. You don't, to them, they're like, you don't want to go into the Bronx. No, you never. Well, you got that. your Dominican Heights. You got, you know. And there's all these different neighborhoods. I mean, there's like Morningside. There's, yeah. Yeah, because Bronx is like really like a lot further, like 180th and stuff like that. But the thing is like all the all the places above Harlem, white people like that's still, you don't want to go there. But they say Soha, South Harlem, because this is basically like 116th to probably like 125th or something. Yeah. So they want to congregate around here. Yeah. So they kind yeah. of, I'm not checking you as I say this. It's just, it's that's so cool. Funny. I mean, you know, I needed a place to live. Look, look, you didn't call it so hot. I mean, the thing that was so funny was they, I remember being in the neighborhood because I didn't have friends who lived there. And in the summers, you know, people were doing anything they normally do. They blast the music, they having barbecues, they're doing whatever. And I would see the white neighbors calling cops, oh, the music's too loud. And I was just like, hey, these people have been here for like, I mean, since the Harlem Renaissance and prior, they get to do what the fuck they want to do. Unfortunately, as Soha become a, became a more prominent thing, that's not how the police started rolling. They started like shutting shit down and not allowing people to have the normal gatherings and congregations that they normally would have, which is really fucked up. And so you'd see a, a lot of local councilmen talk about that and people airing their grievances, but there's just too much investment um, and you know, they're kowtowing to where the money is, which, you know, in a lot of ways is understandable, but um, there are ways to do these things that don't require kicking people out of where they're from and also just giving them investment and allowing them to have opportunities and jobs when you do build things there. But that's just around the country. Like it is, there's a singular way in which these things function and all of them occur exactly like this. I mean, my brother who I was sponging off of had a black landlord and he was always like, I'm not like making things worse. I'm like giving money to a black owned business. Like this building is a black owned business. I'm not, you know, I don't know. And he did move. He had the decency to move. And <laughs> well, I mean, but there's no, there's this is no, this after the, yeah. the thing is, as a singular person, there's nothing you can do to stop. No, but you're part of a, you are part of a, you know, white people are cruising through the neighborhood and they're not sure whether they're comfortable living there or not. And they see you and they're like, oh, okay. And then it just like, it does kind of get the ball rolling. Like for sure. Mm-hmm. Like we're complicit in it. I'm but see, but, but Tim, it. Think, think about it this way too. In a suburb where I am now, yeah. it's the same way. You walk around, around a number of white people. They ain't always very comfortable with you being there. And you start seeing some more black people and y'all start winking at each other and shit like, not winking, I'm just joking when I say that. But it's only you give people a heads up. Oh yeah, I see you, all right, cool. Hey, you, you know, people are living in this neighborhood in this neighborhood going to these schools. And eventually there's too many of y'all, then white people want to leave there. Like, that's the I, cycle. I feel like there's a good, I think it's more nuanced than, you know, this is an all black neighborhood or an all white neighborhood. Like, I think an integrated na- neighborhood is a good thing. It's just, how does it work? I mean, if, but, it, ha- but, if it works by, like, we're kicking out all of this kind of person and taking over, that's bad. If it's like, if it's a diverse neighborhood because it's an organically diverse neighborhood, that's good. But see, the, the way things have been structured purposefully in this country, oh, specifically yeah. around redlining to start yeah. with, 
you can always talk about it in a pragmatic way instead of saying it's because they're black. You see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So so if if, if people don't have, if they don't have wealth, so I mean, like, for example, in the way it works in this film, Jay's parents have that, that, uh, you know, basically like the little, I guess we call it like a townhouse. That's what people, people were there in, in the neighborhood where we used to live. They would almost call it like a townhouse now, right? And they're renovating all those areas. Like you have the, the old buildings that are set up and you have the new construction, those actual townhouses, right? Which will yeah. eventually be replaced. They'll sell that when, you know, some realtor comes and say, hey, we want to buy this property to, you know, make it look nice or whatever. Like uh, what's that place you said in, in Dallas? What's called Oak Cliff or something like that? Yeah, like Oak Cliff. Yeah, so you do that and then... Um, the thing is, but now that Charles is trying to do it where they are, it, it's everything's just about like cycling the money around. And it's not like you say, OK, you can't be here at all, but we need it because we're going to transform the neighborhood to look a certain way and have a certain right. feel and this and that. And, you know, oftentimes when there's a happening, you price people out. It's not that's what I'm saying. It is a bit. You right. make it a pragmatic issue instead of one where there's some subjectivity around, you know, social issues and all this other shit. But when you do that, you're not allowing people to also reap the benefits truly of that because you know, whatever you're going to pay for that property, you're not going to pay them the premium that you know you'll get back for like, so you might buy something at whatever, you know, X amount, but you know, you're going to get like in many cases, you know, in the two or three, four years, you're gonna get hundreds of percent back on that. And the thing is, people know the value of that property because of where people are trying to come in and take it. Because this happened in Nashville a lot too, where they'll buy a, you know, a house for like twenty, thirty thousand dollars. You know, well, actually, this happens in Memphis. They're literally house on Memphis. You go on Zillow for like thirty thousand dollars, right? You know, come in and they'll like buy shit ton of those, plowed all all this shit over. And they put up houses for like 200 and something grand. Yeah. I mean, this is, this goes back to like, this is the, the whitest shit I've ever said, but everybody should read Ta-Nehisi Coates' The Case for Reparations, where he talks about how most wealth is accumulated through your home. Like, and the reason that white people have such a wealth advantage is because of racist housing laws that go way back, like to the GI Yeah, the FHA and all that. Yep. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so like, if you have this wealth, you're like, well, I just inherited my grandparents house, which they inherited. That's where wealth comes from. It isn't like, you know, it isn't usually a stockpile of money. It's usually a house. And if you only started having fair housing rules very recently, if we even have them now, there's only been a few years for this to become anywhere remotely fair. So like the dream scenario is you have the value, you have black people buying property and owning the property and then those property values rising without yeah, like them said, getting kicked out. Yeah, but like I said, in Memphis, there's so yeah. many examples across this country. And this is very consistent where middle class families have homes. It ain't like they're living in projects, but then they tear down the homes. Like they find what, let me actually send, I'm going to read out the text yeah, yeah, yeah. I sent to you. Because I think yeah. this will help solidify um, exactly what we're talking about. So there's a, um, an article that I think would be helpful to share with everybody. Uh, but just to kind of solidify how some of this works. So um, there is somebody um, kind of breaking down um, it's a, a senator in the 50s. And he's talking about uh, the people in this black neighborhood. And he says, um, you know, 
the homeowners are sick and distressed beyond measure. This is a black neighborhood. They wrote that they had told for years to pay off their mortgages and fix up their properties, and they succeeded in making the best neighborhood for blacks in Memphis. The community was more valuable than any relocation funds the city might provide, uh, so on and so forth. Then it mm. says, basically, everybody's about to lose their home. The grievances were ignored. The Memphis Housing Authority established in the mid-30s, part of the wave of local authorities begun under Roosevelt's New Deal, leveled a 46-acre area and replaced the single-family homes with a low-rise 900-unit public housing complex. As justification, the Housing Authority cited statistics showing that the city's Black population had doubled in less than 30 years. So their yeah, justification ridiculous. was just simply that too many black people had moved in. And even now, the way things function, and I'll discuss, you know, they say black people moving in drives down, you know, the values of homes and all this other shit, blah, blah, blah. Again, it comes back to like these pragmatic terms you can talk about yeah. where you don't have to introduce race into it, even though one way or another, that ends up being the driving force behind all these things. It's this, you know, concern and fear that white people have about losing something by having the presence of other people around. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's the most interesting thing. It. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good snapshot. It's, I think it's like kind of the most interesting story in America. I mean, it's, it's like when we make movies about like slavery or like the civil rights movement, it's like that isn't actually the fight right now. Like, it's great that you're against slavery. Good. That should be the baseline. It's great that you're for civil rights. Yes, that should be the baseline. But the place where these battles really get fought now is really around housing. And yeah, we just don't even acknowledge that. Well, and, and you know, to, we, we've gone quite a while, but I do think it'd be good to close with what did you guys, beyond the, the white people and how they reacted to it, what did you guys think of what Jay did at the end? Did you buy it? Was it was it impactful? Do you ever feel like you want to punch white people randomly in black neighborhoods? <laughs> um, I, I mean, it was what it was, you know. I didn't, I didn't really feel no type of way about it. I just understood that his um, frustrations of it. I, I personally have never. Um, I've, I've seen people cross, white people cross the street when I walk by. But I never, I don't really get too fucked up about it. But it might also show that something might be wrong with me because I just grew up like that, and I just, you know, because I internalize it. So that's that's one thing that I felt different about when I moved out here to Dallas. I mean, Dallas has its own thing, but I didn't. The um, how how segregated Memphis is, it made me think that pretty much every city in the United States was like this. Mm -hmm. It's just the way of life, right? So um, I never really got frustrated about it that much. And then I didn't really know too many white people to even be that fuck, that mad about it. If anything, it was, it was both tragic and funny because I don't know why I thought it was so funny that he beat this dude ass and his friend said, I'm gonna call 911. <laughs> It didn't help. I, I yeah. swear, <laughs> Just I swear if, I'm, if I'm with somebody, if I'm with another man, if I'm with another dude and somebody start wailing on my ass and you don't try to stop them, 
I'm gonna fuck you up as soon as I get up. <laughs> that that was some of the most. <laughs> it, 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 the, the depiction, I will say, in general, man, they do a lot of people wrong so time in this movie. They that be making funny. Even attempt it. First off, they be making them look weak as hell in this movie. I'm like, dang, don't have, don't most white people know jujitsu or some shit? <laughs> Kung Fu is ass. Don't they have guns? Yeah, I, I could have sworn. Shit, white people in Memphis at least got a gun on their ass. You know? <laughs> Shit. Well, I mean, would see you saying or in Texas I mean, too? Yeah, yeah, Texas. I would say it's Texas. Yeah, Texas. Texas yeah, you nah, right. Yeah, they ain't, no, ain't nobody run up on somebody randomly in Texas. You definitely gonna get. Uh, you definitely gonna get shot. Nah, dog. Ain't, ain't doing that. But yeah, I mean, it was funny because my wife and I were talking about like why Jay did it. And I think he just felt like he ain't belong nowhere. You know, at that point, it's just suit. Yeah, he, super well, he he didn't fit in with, you know, the crowd of of you know, gentrifiers, and he didn't, he, he had been rejected by the people he grew up with. And he had felt that guilt having seen uh, Dion in prison. And, you know, it's weird, like, thinking back on, like, hell, in some cases, why I've been hesitant to to keep up with some people. isn't it, Sometimes it is that guilt, knowing you honestly probably react that way, and just being unable to control your own emotions, just being really over overcome with it something between like guilt and sadness and all this other shit but also just like not wanting to have anything happen to you where you feel like i need to slip back into that because um that is my that those are my people that's going with i mean and, and, and i mean like where you're going to put yourself in peril you're going to lose things and and i don't mean that like just simply money, but like you're going to lose your freedom. You're going to lose all this other shit over ego. Like it's it's a dangerous thing, a game to play when you you just know that sort of resentment can build up and you kind of lose a sense of of control. You know, what I mean, like I've seen that happen to several people. They're not doing things because they make any damn sense. It's just they don't know where to place that that rage. You know, I mean, like that is something. Like, what's that quote by Baldwin? Like, to be black and, and aware or something like that is like to always be in a rage. And, you know, people deal with that different ways. I think that was honestly the reason I was so focused with, with who's woke was there's just like this lack of, of like what drives Keith and woke is just like his like he need to pay back some money on an advance. That's pretty much all that's driving him. And then when, you know, he's insulted, he will disrespect a cop at the end. But it's never about like the actual like pain of what's happening because of the shit happening around him that's actually related to racism. It it, it doesn't come off through other people. He doesn't interact with other folks outside of his immediate circle who I guess was in some way supposed to be like gentrifiers and people that white folks feel comfortable around. And he asserts his blackness and he's proud of his identity, but he just doesn't really, he, I, I don't know, there's something missing in him. Like there's a certain amount of like empathy that just isn't present with him. And, you know, we talked about like just the lack of talking to people who are in different social places and how that could help the show if we woke, if they chose a season two. But this did the exact opposite in many ways, and in a way that was really visceral, you know? Um, I just think it's really funny that he got beat up for crossing the street. That shit was amazing. 
because he thought, oh, if I cross the street. <laughs> He's not bothering you. I, I would, man, it, I, I will say I, I haven't, I haven't wanted to fight necessarily, but there are times I'm not paying attention to people and they just cross you. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm not even looking at you. Like, well, I'm, I know. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have an awkward interaction at some point because since COVID, since I'm usually if I'm oh, outside, no, no, I'm pretty different. much if I'm outside, I'm usually walking with a baby, and I cross the street for every man, woman, child, whatever, regardless of anything. Like I don't want to be near anybody. No, COVID, COVID so changes at, that. At no one's getting point, offended. At some point, someone's gonna get offended because I, I know I'm gonna, it's gonna be hard to break myself of this habit. Dude, like, but you got a mask in two on. Years. Yeah, if I got, I do. I do have a mask on, so. Yeah, no one's gonna know. get mad when you're doing that with a mask. I'm like, well, it, I, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I have caught myself a few times. I'm like, why he? Oh, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. I get it. All right. Yep. I see. That's cool. That's cool. It's just COVID. Yeah. Like, I don't care. Get the fuck away from me. No, no, no. The, I don't the care. thing is, I'm cro- the thing is, most of the <laughs> no, time, I'm, I'm if saying, I see right, them first, I cross. No, all I'm saying, <laughs> COVID or not, don't. Just cross the goddamn street. I don't give a fuck. I'm, I've always been that type of person, even with like just people in general. I don't, you ain't got to walk. If you, if it's better for you to cross the street, cross the goddamn street. I don't care. You oh, no, it's, it's not a big deal, but it's just it's like, get over me. yourself. Get, get the fuck over yourself. I'm not paying attention to you. Like, it's not a big deal. That's cool. I mean, it's just like when you out and a woman think you're paying attention to them and you're not. But then it, then it occurred to me, I must be paying attention enough to know. <laughs> that this motherfucker is know that I'm not paying attention to it. You see, no, nah, but, but but see, but the thing, the thing about that <laughs> so too is you have to be paying attention to some type of extent for but, but, for a person for you to notice that the person is crossing the street. Yeah, but okay, but all right, crossing the street is more like a thing of either you're you the only way you'd even notice is you're you're looking forward and someone does it right. The situation you're talking about could happen for all kinds of reasons too. I mean, you ain't necessarily got to be paying attention. I've had that happen where people make themselves known, and that's different too. But yeah, if you're gonna cross the street, you should clench your purse and you should go like "hrumph," and then you should look the person <laughs> dead in the eye and then cross the street. That's the way you do it. So there's no question. I've had people do that in Knoxville <laughs> when I was going to school there. Where like women, I'm talking about this woman too. Like I'm talking about, I had on like UT gear. Like there was a game that had just happened. She. <laughs> Double hand clutched it and put it under her her uh, armpit, and I was like, "You, oof!" I was, I was like, "I'm wow. not gonna have a crash on it, but how dare you? How dare you, ma'am?" <laughs> like you, you're an asshole. Uh, but, wow. Oh man, do you guys have anything else you'd like to close on? I, I thought this movie was really cool. Um, it, it was I I had a hard watch, but uh, <laughs> it was good though. Um, we we exchanged more texts than we've ever exchanged over anything about whether we should talk about cuties. And I think all things considered, um, I think this is a good choice. Agreed. I don't need QAnon here. That's fine. I think it worked out great. Oh, oh uh, any closing thoughts, Keith? No, I'm good. Everything's been said. Um, we do appreciate you all for rocking with us up to this point. You guys can follow us on social media at the at, on Facebook or also on Instagram at the Low Key Pod. And also remember for movie news and more, follow moviemaker.com. Oh, jeez.
Of course, of course. And uh, we will be back with a new episode next Thursday. We do not know what about yet, but Lovecraft Country and the boys are definitely happening. We just kind of want to. I've been watching it, by the way. Both? Which one? Lovecraft Country. Yeah. I'm, and the yeah. boys. See, the thing is, I just, I was scared we'd like watch the, the first two and then I was like, oh my God, the whole season's so amazing. So, like, I'm going to gradually start looking at them now. Uh, that way we have like a couple of months to kind of get through everything and then catch it at the end. That, that'd be the hope. I'm crossing fingers. That makes sense, but we'll see. Um, both seem entertaining. Though. I've, I've heard great things about both so far. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize Billy Joel's pressure was my favorite song, but it is. Really? really? Yeah. When you watch the, when you watch the boys, no, it isn't my favorite, but I was like, God oh. damn, this song's good. Yeah, yeah they, play, they play it on um, Good Omens, too, which is another interesting good show. <laughs> That's funny. All right, Dan. So we out of here. All right, how about y'all on the next one? All right, peace. peace.